Welcome to the Art Within podcast, hosted by filmmakers Houston Coley and Nate Shepard. This is season one, cultivating community in the digital era. Hey guys, welcome back to the Art Within podcast. We were just saying before we hit record that this might be the episode where we're kind of off our game. I, <laughs> I've i been like sick all week. We both have tons of stuff going on in our lives, some messy things and other just busy things. And so maybe this is almost like, I feel like maybe this is the intermission episode of the season. <laughs> like this is the episode where we just kind of, we just let's talk about some stuff that's interesting to us. I don't even know right. if this is like the canon of the episodes. It, this, Might maybe, be maybe this is just. <laughs> very self-aggrandizing, self-serving. Uh, this is stuff that we like to talk about. And I, I think that's some of it too is uh, even just, you know, just starting this conversation. It's like sometimes having conversations is what is healthy. I know, again, we were just chat chatting a little bit before hitting record of just, you know, the craziness of the week. And do we just call it off for yet another week? Because it's just been a lot happening in yeah. both of our lives and realizing that, uh, no, sometimes it actually is helpful and healthy for us to have spaces to just talk about things that aren't related mm. to yeah. the stress and anxieties of life and so forth. And so uh, maybe uh, maybe this is this this episode's for us. Uh, maybe this is <laughs> But I hope uh, I hope you listeners also enjoy the ride. I know I'd I've been interested for a while. You know, both Houston and I are filmmakers, and we haven't really talked that much about film. I and mean, we've talked about like how to talk about movies, and yeah. you know, we've touched on it. But we both online make, conversations. Yeah, but we both make movies, and so for those for whom that might be interesting to hear just a little bit about our own process and a, approach to filmmaking as our, um, at least one of our chosen art mediums. I think both of us dabble in other things as well. And obviously I do a fair amount with music, which is related to film. But I'm actually right now just wrapping up production on my second feature length documentary. At least I think it'll be feature length. For those mm -hmm. who don't know, feature length means 40 minutes or longer. And this one's hovering right around, you know, I think it's right now at 47, but I got to make some cuts. And so it's going to, it's going to be roughly sure the credits feature. are long enough. Exactly. I might have to extend the credits film. or, yeah. <laughs> but of course I'm a sucker for punishment whenever I create movies and I have to do the soundtrack too, because I really love making soundtracks. So I'm <laughs> currently working, it's basically a very, uh, it's an autobiographical film about myself and my brother heading back to our hometown just for a day uh, last summer, uh, just to, for me, it was, you know, it'd been like, I think seven years since I'd been back. Mm. So it was a good excuse to almost like close the door on a chapter of my life that mm. has taken up residence in my mind and heart for years beyond, even though I don't have a lot of meaningful connection to the town anymore. Um, and so it was almost like, it, it's a little morbid, I guess, but it was almost like a funeral hmm. for for my childhood. It's not like I'm like, I'm no longer a child. It was like making peace with aspects of that and just laying it to rest. But you are it. no longer a child. <laughs> but I am no longer a child, you know? And so uh, so anyway, so the film is just a very deeply personal film. And yeah. uh, of course, you know, I grew up in the 90s and I have a bunch of like, I don't remember the name of the type of tape. We had these little tape recorder cameras, mm -hmm. camcorders um, that my dad got when I was like five. I think we got our first one. Mm -hmm. So I have footage of my myself from five years old on, uh, which is really weird now because I have a seven-year-old son. Uh, so there's a lot of like, hmm. wait, so who who am I watching here? <laughs> but what's interesting then is that I've worked a lot of that into the film itself, uh, sort of kind of going back in time. And so as a result, the music, the point I'm saying, the reason I'm bringing that up is the music is very synth VHS, <laughs> you know, Stranger Things inspired, uh, which is also one of my favorite shows. So so that's been actually really fun. Uh, it took a little bit to get to a point. I, had, I definitely had one of those creative block moments of, I got to score a 40 minute film uh, and I set a, a release date just to have a deadline. And so I'm like, ah, I've got a month to finish this. And 
and then you eventually you get you kind of get over that hump and you get into that inspirational like oh, I just made a cool thing. So there was one track in particular a couple nights ago that I made that mm-hmm. I was like, this is why I do it, and it just kind of inspired me to really push forward. So I think mm-hmm. the soundtrack is going to be a lot of fun. Might be even better than the film. Um, <laughs> but uh, so that's it that's seems been like you and I are we're equally fascinated with. I mean, we've done a whole episode about it, but like place and capturing mm-hmm. place in our movies. Like it's obviously this is kind of in some way capturing the place of your childhood it seems like right. you have a lot of like wide shots with a place that was significant to you in the background Some of that is, is exactly I didn't, what i do <laughs> i didn't have a cameraman so it was set it on a tripod and hope it's in focus uh, which was somewhat inspired by some of your short films um, and mm. then you also i think it's a feature film uh feature length um the love in the time of corona yeah um i think it gets close to 40 minutes but it's i don't remember if you use that as much in that film but i know some of your short films have have incorporated sort of that like it's amazing how interesting a lockdown shot of two people talking <laughs> about it but within a place and sort of whatever mm. that place comes to you know inspires in the mind it, it's actually a lot more interesting than it than you would think and so i kind of just took a page out of your playbook as far as uh, the style and approach yeah. but but i think you know this is so part of the point i guess of this episode uh, that at least when i was thinking of what i wanted to talk about was just our own motivations and why we approach film the, the way that we do or just more broadly art so if, Filmmaking specifically isn't your thing. That's I think a lot of these principles apply um, more mm. broadly to like why do we do art? What motivates us? What should motivate us? What should not motivate us? And I know for both you and I, we have a tendency to really like like contemplative or <laughs> almost slow moving, not rushing on, you know, not quick edits, not a lot of frenetic energy necessarily. You know, we yeah. can dabble in that. At least this is maybe I'll speak more for myself. Um, and so I know sometimes I've had comments on my films of like, I didn't really know why that scene was there. I d- you know, it didn't seem to advance the plot. And usually I'm not trying to bore the audience, but I have like a lot of deliberate choices that I make in, uh, mm. in just kind of, for me, film is more about an experience than a story. At least totally. that's how I approach film. Okay, and James so, Cameron. Uh, okay. Well, you know, he's, he was, he was bound to come up on this episode. You know that. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, those Avatar films are a great example of that. Lord of the Rings were the films that that marked my childhood and and a lot of why I fell in love with it was I fell in love with place and with Mm. lore and depth and just because kinds of moments, play and delight and uh, humor and all of that stuff that's not, quote unquote, strictly necessary. And I probably have said this on the podcast before, but I feel like that's a core aspect of what makes art uh, and spirituality so important mm. for human flourishing is because it precisely because it's quote unquote unnecessary. Obviously, there are necessary ways to approach faith and, and art of like, we need this to happen or this is, you know, but I think what we maybe don't realize is that a lot of it is there to remind us that the, that we are more than machines, that we are more mm. than the numbers and view counts and all of that. And so that's part of why I think I like putting those kinds of scenes in my films is because because it reminds me. It's you know some of it is again James Cameron he said this, but uh, I resonate a lot with that idea of why is it in the film because I like it. <laughs> because I want it, because it's fun, because it's interesting to me. And I figure if it's interesting to me, it's probably going to be interesting to someone else out there, you know? Yeah. And so, yeah, I don't know. There's a lot of piecemeal thoughts that, you know, hopefully kind of set the stage for this conversation about why and how we make films, but also more broadly, why and how we make art. So I don't know if you have some follow-up yeah, thoughts it is, there. Yeah, it's interesting how, I don't know, There, there's an extravagance to art that is mm. unnecessary. And I grew up, I, there's a video that I made on my YouTube channel 
um, a few, I don't know, maybe it's a year ago, over a year ago. It, it's about those fantasy guidebooks that mm. like I, I grew up like the Arthur Spiderwick guide to the fantastical world around you and just like all these, you know, beautifully illustrated like guides to the fairies in your garden and, you know, types of dragons and all this kind of stuff. And I remember as a kid being so overwhelmed with the magic of those books because it was like they had been written as though this stuff was real and mm. as though this stuff was was tangible and possible and just so much detail had been poured into the descriptions of these fictional non-existent creatures. And now looking back on it, I think one of the things that that really gave me that sense of awe and wonder was was merely this idea that artists and creative people had poured so much effort and energy into something that was so seemingly useless. Like it, it mm. what is a field guide for creatures that don't exist? You know, it's it's just there for magic and joy and wonder and creativity and whimsy. And I, I think I still I embrace that idea a lot in my art. I also um Debbie and I have a tattoo, both of us on on our arms that's very complex. It has a bunch of different symbols on it. But one of the symbols on the tattoo is the jar of perfume that was poured on Jesus's feet in the Gospels, which we kind of mm. see as symbolizing something almost artistic. Like it's this extravagant, unnecessary act of beauty in, in the middle of that story. And the disciples actually say to to Mary, who's pouring the perfume on his feet, they're like, what What are you doing? You know, that perfume could have been used for other things. You could have sold it and fed the poor or something like that. But Jesus says, no, this woman is doing a beautiful thing. And I like, I love that. That might be my favorite moment in the Gospels because it is Jesus saying mm. this unnecessary extravagant thing is beautiful and that gives it meaning. And so, yeah, I there's so much art that I... I don't know. It, there is an interesting line between like how how do how do we define something that's you know has no plot and is therefore kind of like you you don't take anything away from it or how mm. how do, you know certain things that do just ultimately feel aimless or do feel sort of like they're they're very self important but then don't really go anywhere or something like that. I think there is a line there, but I don't really know what the line is or how to mm. define it because every time you draw that line you're wrong and something will move you in a way that you didn't expect. I think one of my most meaningful theatrical experiences that sticks with me to this day is Impressions de France in the Epcot World Showcase at Disney World. It is a 200-degree movie that they show in the France Pavilion at Disney World, which is the little like little pavilion that's meant to, to give you a little bit of immersion in what, what France is like. And it was made in the 80s, and it's it's not 360 degrees. I actually don't like the 360-degree movies at Disney because I'm just, like, constantly overwhelmed with where to look, and I feel like there's no focal point to the camera. Like, it's just, like, it, it, it's not a shot. <laughs> but with the 200-degree movie, it's like it is just a normal movie, but it's just way wider. And so you kind of mm. – it actually tells a story with – you, you sort of gaze from left to right and you like see one thing on the left side of the screen and then you'll turn your head and as you see on the right side of the screen, it like it finishes the image or finishes the story almost. Mm. And so anyway, it's, it's basically just atmosphere and mm. ven uh, uh, vistas and views of France, but very like 
immersive. Like the camera is on the back of a cart of flowers that a young girl and an old woman are pulling into the marketplace. And you feel like you're on the back of this flower cart. Mm-hmm. And it's gliding over the ocean up to Mont Saint-Michel, which is the beautiful palace in France. I don't know if it's a pal- castle that's like in the middle of the water. It's an island. Anyway, <laughs> beautiful stuff. But the thing that was always so magical to me about it was that it has no plot. It has no story. It's just atmosphere of France. And it's Mm. in this overwhelming 200 degree image. And it's so textured and it just like captures a place and gives you the sense of that place so well. And maybe it's a little bit like exaggerated. Like some people have said, it's kind of like a, a, a an exaggerated version of France. Like there's a guy in, in a vineyard who's just has a, has a grape on top of his head, like just a grapevine that he's just put on his head just to look more like foreign somehow or something. Like this is what people who are in vineyards do. It's traditional French headdress. Yeah. And so there's some funny stuff. There's, there's some goofiness that I like. Um, mm. But I think that has stuck with me throughout my whole life as like this immersive, transportive, mm. atmospheric journey. And that's sort of what I want all of my movies to be. Like I think mm. my movies will probably have a little bit more plot, but I but like even with the Labrie documentary that we're making right now, there's a sense of I love this place that I met my wife at that is a beautiful place. And I hope that the film is able to capture the atmosphere of that place for mm. other people to see. And I, that's not all there is to storytelling. I think there's so many other things that that matter and that I care about, but it is something that really drives me, at least in this mm. season of my life, is like, what, how do, how do you capture the atmosphere of a place and make someone else be able to experience that themselves? And also selfishly allow me to re-experience it when I leave that place and watch this mm. movie again. <laughs> you know, I think that's also a mm. big thing for me. Well, it's interesting too with like the emphasis on place and atmosphere because there's a sense where films that do that uh, tend to not be as uh, sort of... Um, popular more broadly and and there's good reasons you know the mm-hmm. my favorite film is tree of life by terrence malick which is a three hour art film that uh has a non-linear storytelling you know it's it's all over the place and, and there's so much that's just absolutely beautiful about it and even within that film sometimes when i'm watching it i'll be like yeah the third act is getting a little long i don't know if i've <laughs> said this already on the podcast but uh that's kind of my my line with that movie is like it's my favorite movie and even that i'm like it, there's some points where i'm like it's, it seems a little self-indulgent but what's interesting is that the other end of that extreme is uh sort of this overstimulated attention economy, just cut to the next thing, cut to the next joke. Mm. You can't go 30 seconds without another quip from your cast of 17 recognizable intellectual <laughs> property, uh, action figure, uh, tie-in, whatever, you know. And everything's doing that, like all the movies that seem like they're coming out right now from the mainstream movie houses, whatever, Studios. are like, hey, remember, <laughs> yeah. Uh, remember when we made this other movie uh, 20 years ago? Well, we're making it again, but this time with something different, right? Um, or not. And, or, or not. Just, it's, or it's, it is the same thing again. It's just the same thing again. Just Yeah. And so it, it's interesting because it's so much now about recognizable, you know, marketable, sellable, that kind of thing. And I think there is a bit of a fatigue for a lot of people with that, that 
I don't know that an art, you know, an art film like Tree of Life is going to be the solution or solve that. I realize that it sometimes is just not accessible for people. So I'm not, I'm not putting these up as like one of these is a good film and one of these is not a good film. Now I'm doing Muppet voices like you do, <laughs> uh, but I think there now is my magic is working. Yeah, no, <laughs> we're rubbing off on each other. But there's this, uh, I think, this reality to different approaches and understandings of art and the and the the media that we consume. And it actually gets at some of what I was saying before of like art is what, you know, good art, I think, is what makes us human, reminds us of our humanity, reminds us that, that we are more than machines. And so having this perfectly calculated, here are all of the jokes that we know are going to play really well to the audience and sort of just, you're just another number in a data set versus these more immersive you actually are part of the storytelling. You get to experience it in your own way. There's a lot more layers and nuances. And, you know, I've created, we, we talked a little bit about this during our episode on uh, like installation art and temporary art and things like that, where I will, ha I design these, you know, multimedia immersive installation art things that are somewhat inspired by Disney rides, where the room is, you know, projection and lighting and surround sound to kind of tell this somewhat cohesive but not cohesive story. And as a result, people who attend it, they get different experiences. They'll walk away and talk to me about it and be like, wow, I really loved how you had this political commentary and da 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 da. And I'm like, mm, great that you got that out of it. I don't, did not occur to me when I was making it. Yeah, I, there, there's so much more I feel like I could say about all that. But something that I actually want, that was also occurring to me when I was, when you were talking about atmosphere and specifically just thinking about Labrie, it's, we've already hit our punch card of, you know, we talk about Labrie, <laughs> we talk about Disney, we talk, <laughs> but it's relevant, okay? Because uh, it's just one of the few places that I think really gets this and, and is a place that we learn this from is that a lot of cultivating atmosphere is actually hospitality. Mm. It's setting a space that allows sort of imagination and connection to happen. And so part of why I'm thinking about this is I just before we got on the the, the call here to do to record this podcast, I've been working on a sermon that I'm supposed to preach tomorrow morning. So uh, I don't know when I'm going to finish it, but um, it's about discipleship. How do we disciple others? And this is big fancy word that we use in Christian circles to talk about passing on the faith and teaching people what they need to know about Jesus mm. or whatever. And I think, you know, and a lot of the people that I've been talking to about this uh, within our church community, a lot of us are like, I, I don't know what discipleship is. I don't actually know if I have a good definition. There's not like a really good, clear passage. You know, there's some that you could maybe say are about discipleship, but it's like there are disciples um, and there's like a go and disciple, but there's not really like a clear picture hmm. necessarily of what discipleship looks like until you start to realize that, at least this is my opinion, that I think the biblical framework for discipleship is actually closer to something like hospitality. Hmm. It's inviting people into your home. It's serving them and making good meals and cooking meals with them and like all of those things that come with hospitality. And... I just think there's a lot more growth and maturity that comes from a hospitable place than like a formulaic, here's all the lists of the things you need to do or know or say. Mm -hmm. And so again, I think this ties in, you know, at least I'm making it tie into our conversation about film, because I think that's some of what we're drawn to as filmmakers is, yes, we have so many examples of films and media that's being created that is very like, Again, algorithmic, data-driven, you're just a number, it's just a churn out this 
uh, we re- we've also talked about, you know, uh, is it is it good to, to go viral, viral fame? What is yeah. all of that? We might talk about that uh, on this episode as well. And, you know, again, it's like this very numbers, humans are machines, humans are mineable resources versus humans are human, humans are complex and beautiful and wonderful and awful and everything in between. And that the best way to draw good things out of a human is to make them feel at home, to provide hospitality, to um, meet more than just the basic needs. Here's food, but here is food that tastes good, that is artfully prepared, that we've put candles on the table, we've got music playing in the background. Our, our, our home is reasonably clean, not spotless because we are humans, but also not a complete disaster. You know, there's a fine line. <laughs> but I think it's interesting is that I think both of us approach our filmmaking as, as we do our homes. Like, mm. I think we're both hospitable filmmakers. Like, that's what we care about in film. And I'm not saying there's not other reasons, good, good, great reasons to to make films and to make art. Um, I think there's actually a, a, a really good place for art that is, de- like, inhospitable art is actually really important. Prophetic art, art that calls attention mm. to uncomfortable truths is also yeah. really, really yeah. important. But for both of us, I think we, we trend toward that hospitable art of, like, inviting people in and allowing them to experience and letting them kind of take some control over the the experience Mm. and not just telling them what to say or think or feel. And so I think that to me at least is a big part of why I create the films the way I do is, and I think we could talk about, you know, I do want to talk a little bit about viral fame because I think it actually, that approach, those two approaches, one of those will get you a lot more views than the other. Um, But what do those views mean? You know, again, people become numbers. Anyway, I want to let you talk as well, but uh, I just think that's a really interesting concept. Yeah, that is interesting. I've thought of that before, and it's a it's a complex idea. How how do we be hospitable in our art? Because I think the thing that first comes to mind when I think of hospitable art is making sure that it. I, I guess that the the first thing that comes into my head is hospitable being synonymous with accessible. Like mm. to be hospitable in your art means that you take the audience by the hand and lead them through the story in a very direct way and make sure that the message is very clear that clear to them in a direct way and that it's totally able to be understood on the first viewing and all this kind of stuff. But the more that I think about it and the more that I think about even how we've talked about hospitality on this podcast and the way that we've talked about, you know, inviting people into your home and things like that, I think it might kind of be the opposite in some ways, maybe not fully the opposite, but but there is a sense in which I, I was thinking about David Lowry, who's one of my favorite filmmakers today. He he directed A Ghost Story and The Green Knight, and um, he, he directed Pete's Dragon and the new Peter Pan and Wendy movie. And his movies, it's interesting. I, none of them I would say are perfect. And none of them I would say are like, yeah, like I don't even understand everything about all of them, but I think that they're all so interesting and so him wrestling with things and they all have some element of of that sort of extravagance and, and maybe even whimsy. Like I'm thinking about in a there was a Reddit um, Q&A that he did about the Green Knight and in the Green Knight, everyone pronounces Gawain's name differently. Like the 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 king says Garwin and the the lady says Gawain and a bunch of different people say different things, and someone asked him about that like why why does everyone say his name differently, um, and he said in the Reddit answer, 
some of it is regional dialect. Some of it is just whimsy. So he just kind of thought it was funny. <laughs> Everyone would say it differently. And I love his movies have a little bit of that sense of like winking. Mm. Not even like, like it's not like the Marvel kind of wink at the audience. Like, haha, isn't this all so stupid? It's more like a wink at like, I'm just a guy making this stuff. And I thought that was a little bit funny. And there's a way to view the movies quite seriously, but there's also a way to view it and be like, I can see the director just thought that was kind of funny. Like he even includes a character saying hello there in the green Knight," And in the Reddit, he also said he just put that in as a reference to the star Wars prequels <laughs> just for himself. <laughs> and of course that's not like overblown enough to be like, you know, Oh, it was a reference. It was an Easter egg, right. but it's just a fun little thing for him. And so I, I was thinking about, about how that relates to our homes, and I think it's it, it, there's a sense in which when someone invites you into their home and it doesn't have any personality or, mm. or it's too mm. clean, you don't feel comfortable there. You don't feel comfortable if their house is one of those crazy white marble rich person penthouses where there's not a stain of dirt anywhere mm. and there's nothing of personality around. You feel comfortable when there's a couch that's a little bit tattered and you're invited to sit on it because mm. a bunch of other people have sat on it. And so there's a sense of sort of a lived in quality to it. Mm. And I think that to be hospitable with art might be the same way to make things that feel lived in and personal mm. and invite you into maybe a, a little bit of a, a playfulness of like, hey, I'm just an artist making things and mm. welcome. You know, you can... You can laugh at this with me too. You can you can enjoy this with me too, hmm. and sort of that sense of even with the conclusions that we draw in our art, like if I were to think of what a lot of Christian movies remind me of, of course, that's a whole topic we could do a whole episode <laughs> on. What's wrong with Christian movies? A lot of things, but I think one of the main things that's that's wrong with so many Christian movies is that. They are made by people who don't have questions. They just have answers. Mm. They just have a message that they want to preach to the audience. And so there's no wrestle throughout the art. There's no sense of them trying to figure things out while they're making it. There's no sense of uncertainty about the conclusions. Mm. And that feels like being invited into a house where there is no uh, there is no tattered couch. There is no sort of uh, mess on the floor. There are no children running around that you have to deal with. It's just like... Hello, welcome to my home, and please don't touch anything. <laughs> like <laughs> maybe that analogy is a little bit messy, but but I feel like it makes sense to me. It makes sense that when things are a little too clean around the edges, you actually don't feel invited in. You you feel talked wow. down to. Yeah. And when something has a, a sense of personality and a sense of sort of just eccentricity to it, I actually feel like I, I'm being invited to participate in that eccentricity and be like, oh, I, mm. I saw what you're doing there, you know, or oh, I see I see how much you like this thing that you're making, yeah. or I see how uncertain you are about this stuff. Mm. And so I guess for me, it is a big thing. When something feels like it was made by a person, that's a big deal. <laughs> and it's, uh, you know, that's why I loved the new Guardians of the Galaxy movie. That's why a lot of people have loved all the Guardians of the Galaxy movies because out of all of the Marvel movies, they kind of feel the least like they're made by a machine. They feel mm. the most like James Gunn just has really, you know, a, an eccentric sense of humor. He sees himself in that wounded raccoon mm. and he's going to do his thing. <laughs> and that doesn't mean you have to like all of it. Like I think you know we talked about self indulgence with art and 
I, I have a messy relationship with what what does self-indulgent art even mean? Because some people called like um, Spielberg's new movie, The Fablemans, self-indulgent. It's about his childhood and his parents' divorce and stuff. And I kind of, I understand that, but I'm also like, it's about his childhood and his parents' divorce. Of course it's self-indulgent. It's about mm. his life. Like it's intensely personal. And I don't think that's a problem. I think I want more art like that. Mm. The thing that I would say is you don't have to like all of it. <laughs> like I mm. want more more art that is in some sense self-indulgent, in some sense feels like it was made by a person, but that doesn't mean I have to like all of that art that, that feels like it was made by a person. You know, it, it's just, hmm. yeah, I, I I feel like I'm rambling at this point. No, but, but there's a lot going on there stuff. for sure. Well, yeah, and I, I think you're you're tying in really well with like the actual literal practicality of, I have found that a overly clean house is almost as, if not more, inhospitable to an overly messy one. Mm. And that there is this, we cleaned up so that you can feel comfortable here, but not so that you think that we don't make messes. Mm. Because what happens when you say, we don't make messes, is you say, I'm not a human, and you can't know me as a human. There's no honesty in that. And I think that's some of what we experience when we go into a house or a film or whatever that is too clean, as you were saying. Um, is it feels so dishonest. It feels like it was made to impress us, made mm. to make money and nothing else, but it's not made for humans and it's not made by humans. Um, and that's interesting, yeah, the self-indulgent, because yeah, the film that I'm working on right now is, if the definition of self-indulgent <laughs> is a movie about yourself, then this is, I'm literally, this is literally a documentary about me and my brother going to my hometown and it's just footage of me as a child. Like it's the most, from that standpoint, the most self-indulgent film. But I think in many ways it's it's a very selfless film. It's not it's not about gaining something for myself from other people. It's about like I actually made this film for myself. Mm. Like it's not self-indulgent in the sense of I I think everybody else needs to indulge in it this way or needs to somehow think it's as great as I do or whatever. It's it's actually this was a this is a it's a right. It's a, an entry in my journal. It's a uh, it's a memorial service. Mm. It, that's literally what it is for me. And and the music that I'm choosing is because this is feels like the right kind of music mm. that connects with my own heart yeah. that allows me to mourn and celebrate what I've lost. And so I'm aware as I've talked to other people about this film, like there's a very resonant feeling about not just the the sort of complexity of leaving childhood, but also uh, you know, no longer being in the, the town you grew up in or, you know, the, a, a fair amount of the film we discuss, you know, we go and visit the church that I, that was like most of my personality in life uh, in that season and just talk about how much has changed since then and try not to say things too obvious or negative or whatever because, you know, my goal was not at all to, to paint the church in any kind of bad light, but it was this reality of we had these experiences. There were some... Uh, very problematic people that we, uh, you know, encountered, and we'd have had to deal with some of that and renegotiate aspects of our faith as a result of growing up and things changing and all of that. And so it's the type of thing where I'm like, this is a film that I needed to make, whether or not other people saw it. Mm. And so to me, self-indulgence is like a negative thing. It's like, that's not self-indulgent, even though it's all about myself and my own experience, but it's not about getting other people to obsess over me. That's not the goal here. And I think that's maybe more what is meant in the negative sense of self-indulgent is you should come and watch my thing because I made it and you should think I'm as great as 
Yeah. As I think I am. That that sure, that's self-indulgence. But you know, a movie like The Fablemans, yeah, I haven't seen it, but uh, I imagine it would have a similar sensibility as my film of like this is about me kind of processing my own hmm. thoughts and questions and uh, yeah. almost reframing some of it for myself and trying to understand it with hindsight. And Tree of Life is a good example of that. Terrence Malick, the, the director, almost all of his films are like, he has a question. That's what's driving it is he, he hmm. goes into this saying, I don't understand how a good God would allow people to suffer. That's Tree of Life. That's what Tree of Life is about, is him actually asking that question by making the film. He's not asking the question in the film, although he does that as well, but he's asking the question as the filmmaker. And that's so interesting because it is an invitation. And it, you know, you were talking about like thinking of hospitality as holding someone's hand through the entire experience. Imagine going into someone's house, you know, come over for dinner. Don't walk here, walk there, uh, sit here, uh, eat this. No, don't eat those out of order. Like that, yeah. of course, that's not hospitable. Exactly. You know, that's what we were just talking about. And so true hospitality actually allows a person to show up as themselves and influence the experience. And that's a really scary thing to do because sometimes mm. people influence in ways that are not helpful. And so we try to control it. And I think we do that in our art too, is we want to control how people experience it. And for me, I actually really enjoy people watching my films and taking completely different things away. Mm. It, take, it, it, it takes a, a while to get over the, they laughed at the part that I didn't realize was funny or they didn't laugh at the part that I thought was funny. So there's, there's a little bit of ego <laughs> that you have to work through when people don't respond the ways that you hope um, they would. But it's, it's different from every, I mean, I know you've had this experience going to theaters. When I've shown my film to different audiences, it's really weird how mm. inconsistent the re responses mm. are. Well, everyone will laugh at one spot and then a different audience will not at all, but they'll laugh at a completely different, you know, it's, yeah. it's this fascinating thing. But if you're doing a good job as an art maker or as a, a home preparer, that it is, it's actually allowing people to be in the space with you and to mm. influence and experience it on their own terms. And so there's almost this, when you leave that space where you don't come in with all the answers, but you're actually coming in with questions you yourself are asking, then there's an invitation for the viewer, for the, the guest to contemplate, to explore it in a deeper way than they would if you just told them the answer. And this, I don't know if we've talked about this in the podcast, but I think uh, this is what, is the point of parables for Jesus? Mm. I don't. Did, did we do? Did we discuss this at so. all? So, I think parables. The parables of Jesus are, uh, and there's actually quite a bit of, uh, especially some of the older texts, like the first eleven chapters of Genesis, really function this way, where they are strangely devoid of detail, yeah. but they include very key aspects, and but they do so in a way where it's not immediately obvious what the quote unquote moral of the story is because there may actually be more than one moral, and there may be more than morals. There may be deeper truths that are trying to be expressed, but the invitation is for the reader to actually explore those for themselves, because there's mm. this belief from what I've studied and understand for a lot of um, Jewish culture and ancient Near Eastern texts and some of this stuff, and I think we have examples of it today as well, of it's a, a different approach to education to where rather than saying, here are your five things that you need to memorize and, and here's the test you need to take, you present the, the student with a, a complex story mm. that you have some sense of the answer to, but you're actually letting the student draw their own conclusions out of it and maybe participating in shaping it and 
you know, not all uh, interpretations of art are, are equal. But I think there's even this this beautiful part, this beautiful moment where the who's the the, the line between teacher and, and student starts to become blurred, mm. where you are now both experiencing and learning in the same moment together. And I think that's interesting to me, again, as a filmmaker, when I've put my films in front of people, I'm watching a different film. Mm. Because now I'm seeing it through their eyes and I'm responding to different parts than, and, and people are, are mm. pointing to things that I didn't even notice that were just I- incidental. Uh, you know, there's, there was a number of, of moments like that in my first documentary where it was just one of those where I just slapped two shots together that were under, you know, some voiceover was talking and some music and there's just these couple of shots. And then later realized, actually, that's a really good pairing. Like I didn't realize the sort of visual motif that carries over between those two. So there's lots of happy accidents like that, that mm. other people being able to bring their experience and their personhood to the to the experience actually influences and changes my own relationship mm. to it, if that makes sense. I know it's getting really it esoteric, of, but... Uh, <laughs> David Lowry also said in that Reddit Q&A, someone had uh, brought up a very specific interpretation of the giants in the Green Knight. And it was like just a very like clear sort of this, you know, was it they were asking him, like, did you mean for this to represent this? And this was, you know, sort of tying in with the theme that way. And he just said, wow, you've taught me something about my own movie. I'm going to own that interpretation. (laughs) And I was like, man, that is so great. I... Yeah, it also makes me think of the first time that I was at Labrie, our a friend of ours, Andy Patton, who probably will be on the show at some point. Uh, he, I, I had been obsessed with the movie Parasite at that point in the term. I'd seen it eight times since before coming to Labrie. Had gone to see it a couple times during the term. Was always talking about it. Had a conversation with him about it, and he had loved the movie as well. And then I was at a lunch discussion one day, and I said something like. I just don't understand why, you know, if if the Bible is from some divine, you know, source, why would that divine source make it so hard to understand for people? So inaccessible, right? Mm. So I think I specifically use the word so complex for people to understand and unpack and, and find, you know, figure out what it's supposed to say, what they're supposed to take away. And he sort of nodded and thought about it. And then he got back to me a couple days later. He just walked up to me and said, I was thinking about your question. Do you think that the movie Parasite would be better Hmm. if it was less complex? (laughs) Done. (laughs) I had seen the movie Parasite eight times and every time come away from it with something different on my mind. And Debbie, it was me and Debbie's first date. And she had taught me a bunch of things Mm. about the movie and seen things in it that I hadn't seen And it's because it's an incredibly layered and complex film that does leave some room for interpretation and does leave some room for alternate takeaways. But that's the thing that makes it stay in your mind longer and and dwell with you and cause you to wrestle with it. And I do think the Bible is the same way. It's something that is intended to be wrestled with. And that's the reason that it has lasted throughout culture and so <laughs> that's not to say that I dream of making the Bible, but I do dream of making something mm. that has layers and complexity that people can continue to unpack. And I do think there's a level of mm. like humility there that is required, like like you're talking about, like allowing people to teach you things about your art. I don't know. I It also makes me think of what my dad does. Uh, I 
it, it's strange that I haven't actually mentioned this on the podcast as of yet, but mm. my dad, he founded Art Within, which is the nonprofit that this podcast is named after. And then about 10 years ago, he went and started his own company called Real, where basically he he gets people to bring their mm. top 10 favorite movies in. And he works with like couples groups and sports teams and corporate teams and church groups and families. And everyone brings their top 10 personal favorite movies and then they kind of learn to see each other more clearly through the art that moves them, moves them. And, you know, from a religious perspective that you don't have to agree with, he sees it as the art that moves you is actually God speaking to you in some way, speaking to your heart hmm. in some way. And so I've kind of grown up saturated in that environment of like, what are the common desires of the characters in my top 10 favorite movies? What are the the expressions of love for those characters? What are the common fears and lies that they believe? And that's kind of been a, a language that I've had with my family. But the thing that it has taught me so much has just been the ways that all mm. artists have no idea how their art is ultimately going to impact someone in ways that they will never see or understand. I've seen couples who were on the verge of divorce get back together and have a flourishing marriage because of Dumb and Dumber <laughs> and because of incredibly lowest common denominator movies that I would think of as terrible and bad <laughs> movies that ultimately had incredibly transcendent significance for them because they saw themselves in a character in some way or because they interpreted something in some way or were able to project themselves onto this thing in some way or because it just resonated with their experience in some particular way that maybe the artist never even intended but it was used in a way that was incredibly healing for them. And so I do think, you know, there have been times that I've thought, you know, what if you told these artists the way that their their art had been uh, had been interpreted or used in a person's life? And they might go, that's not at all what I was like going for, just like you were saying, you know, but there, there is a, a humility required to to make art and to to sort of open up your hands and offer up what gift you have almost in that mm. gift economy way and then allow people to receive it however they receive it and then go give it away to someone else mm. however they give it away. And yeah, I, I do think it's just, it's so magical when that happens and you kind of allow it to happen. And I hope, I dream that that the mm. art that I make could have mm. an inkling of that. Yeah, and I think I think it's it's a, it sounds lofty in principle of like, I want my art to be so complex that it, you know, and, and I think, again, that, that borders on maybe that negative sense of self-indulgent. But I think getting back to what mm. we were talking about earlier about the just showing up as a human, guess what? If you're a human, you are complex. <laughs> so I think that's what I've learned as a creator. You know, I used to be more incapacitated by all these choices and all these things that I, you know, I want, I want others to feel about my art, what I feel about my idols. And that's, I think, personally, not a good motivation for doing art. If it's all about just I want other people to adore me the way that I adore my inspiration, mm. good luck. You're going to be miserable. And so there's just a lot of that, I think, where it, we showing up as human is actually what allows people to connect with our art and will do just incredible work in the in the hearts and minds of other people because we are mm. showing up as a person. And to your point, even the most corporatized whatever is still, there's still humans involved, there's still humans uh, making it. Mm. And so there's still this opportunity where 
you know, I, I've never seen the Dumb and Dumber movies, but it's one of those where it's like, who who are we then to judge and to sit here and be like, that's a dumb movie. I like I like art house films. And, you know, that kind of mentality is like, well, what if both of these films actually can do transcendent work? What if both of these extremes, quote unquote, of art can meet humans where they are? And maybe there are better or worse ways to do that. I think there are more or less effective ways to do that. But um, to be sort of the, the arbiter of what is considered good art and what somebody can or can't connect with, I think is is woefully naive and and arrogant of us to to embody that. And so, mm. yeah, there's there's a lot I feel like we could conti- continue to explore with that. But uh, yeah. <laughs> I'm curious to hear more thoughts on this. Like I would, and and I think the the sort of direction of our conversation, even as we've been recording this podcast, went a little bit of a different way than either of us uh, necessarily <laughs> intended. And I, I love it and I'm here for it. So anything, like the whole idea of hospitality and films being like uh, homes mm. and all of that is just like giving me lots of new new ideas. Art as, art a, gift, as a gift, art, you know, hospitality yeah. and art and all that. So I'd be curious to hear uh, people's thoughts on that and your own experiences with the art that has moved you. And I was going to say too, with regards, you know, going back to the parables and, and just, I, I would say understanding art as being an in, like good art is an invitation into self-reflection and growth and uh, a wider right. understanding of the world that you live in and, and the people around you. I think that's the beauty of it. That's the beauty of art. That's the beauty of film. That's the beauty of the Bible. All of this is that it is in some very helpful ways, subverting our expectations, getting us out of our rhythms and patterns and inviting us into uh, a very transcendent, but also tangible uh, experience mm. that connects with us as humans and is embodied, but is also does something beyond words and beyond what we can see and experience. And so it's it's all kind of comes together. And again, I just love that idea of like a, a well-crafted film is, is like inviting your friends over for dinner and just like, let's just love together. Mm-hmm. Let's experience together. And yeah. there's not a script that we have to follow. There's not a, an agenda that needs to be accomplished in a, in this artistic, whatever. Um, and I think shifting in that way for me in my art has been really helpful because then I become way less resentful if people don't engage how I think they should and a lot more open and receptive to even letting my own art challenge me. Um, in new ways by by experiencing with other people. So I don't know. I feel like that maybe is a good place to stop uh, for this conversation. Yeah. Uh, again, yeah. if you do have more thoughts or questions and you want to weigh in on this, we would really love to hear from you. It is nice to know that, especially with a, 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 a self-indulgent conversation like this, uh, maybe maybe there's some of you <laughs> out here. Anyone got something out yeah. of it is a miracle and will keep us going. Yeah, so just <laughs> let us know if you do have further thoughts on this. Uh, and I'm sure we'll, you know, you can find us on all of the, what is it, artwithin.substack.com, speakpipe.com yep. slash artwithin. Send an audio message, yeah. Um, speakpipe.com slash artwithinpod, yeah. Social media, whatever, uh, wherever you're listening to this. All the just, things. I don't comment. Can you comment on Spotify? I don't actually know how. I'm... You can comment on the on the Substack page okay. if you. Yeah, uh, go to Substack. Yeah. That's your best bet. If anyone yeah. watches it there. So. Yeah. Well, thank you guys so much for listening. We'll be back next week for another episode. I'm excited. Yeah, I feel like we have at least a little bit of a blueprint for the last few episodes that we want to do in this season. And there's some interesting topics to talk about. Yeah. So I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. All right. We'll see you guys in the next episode. Thanks everybody.